0: Welcome to Transform, a podcast highlighting the people and ideas shaping the future of senior living. I'm Tim Regan for Senior Housing News. On today's episode, I spoke with Todd Petty, Chief Operating Officer and Executive Vice President of Senior Housing at Lloyd-Jones. The Miami-based real estate investment development and management company is forging ahead in the senior living space with eight assets under management and a multi-brand strategy with several sub-brands carrying the Aviva name. Todd Petty is not one to mince words. He believes the industry has an opportunity of a lifetime in catering to the middle market. And he also thinks that Lloyd-Jones has cracked the code with a model that reduces rates by about $1,000 below market rate. One concept that he thinks shows promise is the practice of converting hotels into middle-market senior housing. But doing so is not easy, and it requires a strong team with attention to detail.
1: You need an interior design person, you need a construction manager, you need a VP of development, you need a remote desktop servicing that you have in-house. You have to vertically integrate to drive that expense down to offer this product to our customers.
0: But before we get to that interview, I want to promote our next Build Conference happening in Chicago on November 17 and 18. Build is an annual event dedicated to the latest trends in senior-loving architecture, design, and innovation for owners, operators, and developers. Hear how industry players are redefining senior living development and planting their stakes now to reshape the future. Be sure to visit seniorhousingnews.com slash events for the latest updates on Build and our other scheduled events. And now, here's my interview with Todd Petty, Chief Operating Officer and Executive Vice President of Senior Housing at Lloyd-Jones. Todd Petty, thank you so much for joining me on Transform Today. I wanted to actually start with kind of a little bit more about Lloyd-Jones. So I know that Lloyd-Jones has holdings in the multifamily space. I also know that you have a senior housing management and investment division. But just generally, I'm curious, you know, if you could go back in the past and trace how Lloyd-Jones got into the senior housing space in the first place, and then also just give us an overview of kind of what you do today. Yeah.
1: uh, Thank you, Tim, for having me on the program. Lloyd-Jones is an investment, development, and management firm, and we're based in the financial district of Miami, Florida, in beautiful Brickle Bay. The firm actually has been in business since 1980, and we have $1 billion in our portfolio that we're managing. Chris Finley has been the chairman, and he's been with the company since 1980. He's led it primarily in the multifamily space. We have four vertically integrated platforms. So we have an investment development division. It's headquartered in Miami. And then our multifamily division is in Punta Vedra, Florida. And the senior housing manager, which I run, is located in Atlanta, Georgia. So the Lloyd-Jones has had senior housing assets within his portfolio for about 20 years. They've been managing on the multifamily side. Chris has wanted to get into this space, but he's waited until a time such as this. And we'll be talking about that today. I joined the senior housing division in 2019 to run the division. So this is my fourth time creating a senior housing platform. Right now, we have eight assets under management. We have two new development projects coming out of the ground, and I have four assets under contract we're going to close prior to the year end. Our goal is to grow by 1,000 units a year, 1,000 to 1,500. And so we're pretty excited about what lies ahead. Uh, Chris met with me several times over a six-month period as I was concluding my tenure uh, with a company where I was targeting middle income. So I was CEO. I added 10 communities to the portfolio. And prior to that, I had brought 26 buildings out of the ground resort. So I had resort experience. I had middle market experience. I met Chris Finley that wanted to do it all. And we hit it off. And I joined the firm in 2019 with a a goal of building a high-growth, senior housing platform with opportunistic value add in core to core plus uh, brands, which we can speak about further.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I I know we wrote a story a couple of years ago about the Aviva brand, so I wanna ask you about that. Before we do though, the big topic on my mind right now is is middle income, the middle market. You were actually just recently on a senior housing news webinar about the middle market, and and I actually wrote a story about this. And what I found really interesting was that you called the middle market the opportunity of a lifetime for this industry. So I wanted you to flush that out a little bit. Why do you feel that way? And you know, if we're talking about the the opportunity of a lifetime, what's the size of this opportunity? Yeah, no, that's, that's a great
1: question. Place. So this is the second time I've used the statement "opportunity of a lifetime." The last time I used it was in 2008 when the iPad had just come to market. This thing called Wi-Fi was taking off. Hotels were putting Wi-Fi in their entire buildings and making it accessible to guests. And I remember being at the National Investment Center and saying, hey, you know, asking people on a panel that were the leaders and my heroes in the industry, what's going to change in senior housing? And they shared with me absolutely nothing. Well, why? Because no one's going to adopt this Seniors don't want Wi Fi. They're not going to adapt these devices. It's just toys. It's not going to be around very long. We may put it in the common areas, but we're not going to do anything with it. And I saw a golden opportunity to own the innovation space. And so I took a pre opening budget and put uh, technology into it. And I think Senior Housing News did an article on us about 2015 about the most technologically advanced building and now everybody has those buildings they have innovation and technology and boy did the mark did we really miss it in the early days that this is going to be a trend and i feel like we're here again i actually moderated a panel yesterday with some very good stakeholders in the industry and we were talking about what's changed and they basically said nothing's changing post covid-19 nothing's going to change the buildings will be the same and they're just waiting for occupancy to get back to you know a, a reasonable stabilization rate. But I, I want to share with the audience why I think there's an opportunity of a lifetime. And that basically is demographics, psychographics, and a pandemic. So here's some great statistics. First of all, there's 46 million seniors that are 65 and older living in the United States. We've heard that number before. In 2030, Baby boomers will be included in this demographic group that's 65 and older. So by 2030, every baby boomer is now eligible for housing in this new continuum that we're going to have. We have 10,000 people turning 65 and older every day. And by 2030, based on every unit getting full and every project coming out of the ground and anything in the pipeline, we'll have a massive shortage of senior housing. So the demand for senior housing is only going to increase we're actually in a low right now, as you're aware, because of births, and we have pent-up demand because of a pandemic, and there's going to be a great need for housing. So that's not going to change. Middle is not going to change. The interesting thing about the middle market primarily is this: the baby boomer generation lacks personal liquidity. Right now, more than half of American consumers that are over the age of 55, they lack any retirement plans. The last statistic I saw said they had $6,000 in savings. And the present resort model that, you know, I like to call it the herd, but in the last 10 years where everybody's ran is this resort model. It will only, it's only affordable to to the top 10% of the market. So in any given area and merchant builders have come into the space and I appreciate all that they've done, but they've all have the same model. Equity, traditional equity follows this same model as You know, about 100 units, it's 80% ALs, 20% memory care. It reaches the top 10% of the market. It has a certain NOI that it spends off and a return on investment. And the lower income folks have some housing government help. The top 10%, their needs are met. But what about the middle market? This is not affordable to the middle market. So the opportunity is to create a product that is affordable for those that for this massive sh- housing shortage that's going to exist for people that can't get in this resort model. And I know we've heard people say, Hey, no one understands it. We can't get there, but I think we already have. And I'll be glad to share some more about that as we continue our discussion.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's clear you're very passionate about the middle market as am I, and I agree with you. I think it's a huge opportunity for the folks out there who can figure it out. actually though, to kind of flush out what the middle market is, I think I hear that term thrown around a lot, but I don't often hear it defined in rates. So I hope I don't put you on the spot, but what would you consider you know, true middle market rates for you know, independent living, assisted living? or Yeah, no, that,
1: that's a great question. And I, I think I can just sum it up and then we can provide some color. The rates for a middle market are going to come in $500 to $1,000 less than AO Memory Care market rate in any given area whether it's an MSA, a secondary, or a tertiary market. So, you know, the goal is how do you create a business model that comes in instead of $5,000 in rents, they're at four. Or if, if the market's rate is $4,000, how do we get it to three? And remember, you know, this, a statistic on AL memory care is that the average length of stay is coming down in AL memory care. So what we used to see years ago, 36 months, as high as 36 months, 20 years ago, now people are coming in and the stay is roughly 20 to 18 months. And so the goal is for a, an affluent person to sell their home, dispose of their asset, take their equity and come into a resort, a product and be able to pay a five, $6,000 rent for the next 20 months. And they can do that. The middle market person can't do that with a $175,000 home, $225,000 home, but they can if the rent's $1,000 less
0: going back to the the webinar that you just recently spoke on the senior housing news webinar I remember you had talked about how now is a, an opportune time to acquire communities at a good price and then turn them into middle market products I think that's something that we've been hearing you know for the past two years now people have been expecting some good deals to come on the market so I guess you know the first part of this question is what are you seeing out there in terms of opportunities do you still see a lot of these deals today and then when you acquire a community and and make these changes, what do you have to do to it to turn it into a middle market conversion? I remember you had said you have to be kind of lean and mean about your operation.
1: Yeah, yes, you do, Tim. So I guess, first of all, I want to qualify everything I'm going to say now is that this is a targeted, strategic acquisition. So it's not a at all the seminars that have come back online in the last year. The question has always come up for panels like, well, what is the new model? You know, what is the new resort model? Is it healthcare? Is it is it high amenitized resort? And is it this or that? And I really dislike ever a question being teed up, is it this or that? Because it really boxes you in, because it depends. I mean, I think I think we can talk about this as well, but I think it's it's many different models that have to emerge to meet the demand for the baby boomer boomer. So it, this has to be a targeted approach to the right asset. So you're know, right now, so let let's talk about what's available. So first of all, 70% of the market is performing fairly well right now. You know, we, we have some decline in occupancy, but that's to be expected. I mean, with a 40% attrition rate every year, if I have 100 units and I can't move anybody in, I should be, you know, at 60%. So if I'm 75 to 80, I'm probably doing pretty good. And in many ways, this was government shutdowns. You can't move anybody in during the pandemic. So there's pinup up demand and that's going to correct itself. And 70% of the market did fairly well. But thirty percent is very distressed, and there are decisions being made right now by REITs that are unloading and disposing of twenty-year vintage assets, and they just want, you know, to, to exit the market. They lack capex, you know, they they don't have significant marketing, unique value propositions, and so those assets are now coming onto market. Then you also have single owners that have built twenty years ago. They stayed full at ninety-five percent. They did well until new competition came up out of the ground around them. Potentially, they stood; up, they could have done well with lower rents. But the reason they didn't is because when there was oversupply in the market, the the resort properties dropped their rents. So they dropped their rents, and they were allowed to do it during a pandemic. And that's all changing because now you know that they're not meeting their debt service cover ratios. Debt stepping in and saying, "Look, this doesn't work t- for you to pay me back, so you're going to go up on your rents." So initially, eventually uh, they're going to go back up on their rents, but it's it has put a hurting on a lot of these independent small owners. So now they're exiting and they're letting go of these properties at you know $130,000 a unit. And you know, I, we talked about this in, a, in another panel, and the thought was, well, no one is going to want to move into these properties because they're 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 20 years old, they're smaller units. And they're not amenitized like the new properties. But there are opportunities if you find the right one. So we're looking right now and acquiring an asset that's $130,000 a unit, which I think the going rate now to build is $220,000 replacement cost. And what's so great about this is it's 160 units of AL memory care built 20 years ago. It's very dated. It needs about an infusion of $6 million infusion of CapEx, but all the units are one bedroom with kitchens at 800 square feet. So I have a building that's gonna offer my clients 800 square feet of living space, all one units with a kitchen, which we're putting that in new product now in AL Memory Care for various reasons. And all things being equal, once we upgrade this building and I put a tech package in it that will even exceed the resort product down the road, because I'm putting in RFID door locks and access control and digital signage and music throughout. So when you come into the building, your favorite music's playing. It has an autumn smell to it. There's digital signage to celebrate what we're doing every day. It's a inviting and friendly atmosphere. What I liken it to is a person deciding to spend $800 at the Ritz-Carlton. Well, they'll open my door and say, hey, lo- hello, Mr. Petty, we've been waiting for you. And I'm paying $800 a day for the amenities, or I can go to a nice bed and breakfast where I walk in and it's beautiful. It wraps its arms around me. There's a lot of love in the building. I'm getting three meals. I'm getting music playing and aromatherapy and I'm getting the same result and I can spend $300 a day. If I'm going to stay a month, I'm going to the bed and breakfast. And so we're repositioning these assets, you know, for that to serve that purpose. So if you don't mind, I was going to share a other opportunity that... That we're seeing. So sure. we, we, we're seeing hotels owners getting out of the space as well. And again, it's all about targeting the right hotel. I mean, obviously, I can't go and buy a hotel that is a 300 foot suite, potentially 250 square feet for independent living with no no way to expand and limited common areas. But if I get the right hotel and uh, that a REIT owns and they're trying to exit again, We can, it's got good bones, we can combine suites, we can end up about 800 square feet. We've got great common areas and we can put in an independent or an active adult community and get to that thousand dollar price point less than everybody else in the market. So all things being equal, I'll have a renovated building with the same square footage, with the same amenities and with different programming that we can talk about why we get it robust programming in the building. But if I'm $1,000 less than a person down the road that's brand new, we're going to attract the folks that do not have the dollars to spend or they do not want to spend their savings on it or the children do not want them to spend their their inheritance on it. So we're looking right now at a hotel offering. We have an LOI on a a 10-story concrete block, high-rise building. It's in a highly sought out MSA area. It's easily 75% below replacement costs. It's had a full PIP on it with the flag since 2014, and we want to repurpose the hotel for independent living. So it has, think about this, indoor-outdoor pools, huge common areas, renovated space. You know, our average rents will be 2895 with 75% of the units, uh, one bedrooms. So we're at 2895 below, and the new competitor's at $3,500 down the street. So we'll have utilities, transportation, two meals a day credit, activities, furnished suites. You know, the demographics in this area are strong with a median salary of $73,000. We're seeing 20% growth rates. It's a barrier. There's barriers of entry. It's already entitled for senior. And so we can hit that 75 plus age, five-year population growth rate in the Atlanta area. So that's another opportunity. So distressed REITs, owners in hotels are all disposing assets that can be repurposed for senior living. I think the biggest obstacle, Tim, is that, you know, look, most people have hired premium third-party vendors. I appreciate them all. I mean, you can hire third-party premium vendors to do everything in the building and have a fantastic deliverable. You can't hire third-party premium vendors in the middle market space. You need some, but primarily you have to be vertically integrated. You have to have and get a team together and it's clunky at first, but you need an interior design person. You need a construction manager. You need a a VP of development. You need a remote desktop servicing that you have in-house. You have to vertically integrate to drive that expense down to offer this product to our customers that are paying $1,000 less.
0: Thanks for covering so much ground. You answered a few questions that I have had about you know, the obstacles, and, and also I wanted to learn more about the hotel conversion. So that was great. Todd, I want to ask you about the Aviva brand. I know that you're catering to some of this with the Aviva brand. So tell us... More about that brand, kind of what it is. I know you launched it a few years ago, and you know sort of how you view the vision for that, given the trends that we've been talking about.
1: Yeah, we're real excited morning. about our our multi brand strategy. I know you have several clients, senior housing news rock stars that interview with you all the time that are rolling out multi brand strategy. I think it's a, a smart idea, and we're we're doing the same thing. So I'll just briefly say something about that. So we we have an Aviva brand we're rolling out that's going to be a class A asset brand. is going to be market rate, typically what we're seeing across the country on every corner now, these beautiful buildings that are coming out of the ground. We're going to have an Aviva Select brand, which will ha- be, a, it's not a CCRC. There's not an equity buy-in, but it is is—it is designed for the affluent market in an MSA that wants to go to the place to be. We will have higher rents. It'll be a membership-based offering it will be designed for an affluent client. And then we have a middle market brand that's going to be called Sage Hill. So for for a somebody looking for a middle market flag if you will, we'll have the Sage Hill brand. So specifically we have a property coming out of the ground in Port St. Lucie, and I'm going to try to cover all of our targets if we have time where we see the opportunity because I think we're I think that we're I know everybody's going to catch up with me. So I really would just like to own the narrative and be the first one out of the gate is what I, I'll try to right. do. Great. So Plant your so flag. So <laughs> look, the, the industry is absolutely changing because of the demographics. So think about this. The average age in assisted living now is 86.67. One in two after the eighty-five age of 85 is demented, according to the Alzheimer's Association, and one in three has Alzheimer's. That age is climbing every year by 80 basis points. So you think next year it's 87 and the year after it's 88 and maybe it's 88.9 and we're just moving north. And unless there is a cure for brain failure, the problem we're all facing is that we're going to experience brain failure at 85, even though we're living longer and there's great ways to successfully age. And that is our 75% of the folks moving into AO memory care, they're demented and they need now. A healthcare product. They didn't need that 20 years ago. It was all about, hey, custodial care, medication, bathing, dressing, grooming, and some amenities. And then we, we tried to really make these buildings real sexy with bistros and uh, bars and, and swimming pools for the 85 and over crowd. But look, when the pandemic hit, what did everybody care about? They wanted safety. They wanted security. They wanted to know mom was getting her medication. So I think 85 and older, you've got a bifurcation. Those folks need healthcare. But by the time I don't remember who I am, where my keys are at, I'm putting it in the refrigerator. I'm going across the street to visit you, Tim, and you're in California, but I don't know that I'm in Georgia. Now it's time I need care. And I want to go to a healthcare model. And I think that changes in the future for AO Memory Care. And I'll talk about that in a minute. But think about the people under 85. The fastest growing divorcing group in the United States is 75 plus. And I talk about this all the time. And why? Well, they didn't think they were going to live as long as they were with the person they were. They're like, I'm tired. I'm out. So they're divorcing at record rates. And then you have the folks that are losing a spouse during that decade of 70s to 80s. They have these big homes. They want to manage their wealth. They're selling their homes. They got to move someplace. They want to go near their grandkids. Where do they go? They're going to walk into an AL memory care. And quite frankly, I don't care how good a salesperson I'm in. I'm not going to sell them on a place that's providing mainly care to people that are declining, that are demented, cognitively impaired. So what are they going to want? They're going to want to go someplace where they can move in to two, one and two bedrooms. They can be around people their own age. They can successfully age in place. They're going to want the point of sale bar. They're going to want to do a shot at four o'clock. They want to smoke a cigar. They're probably going to have some version of a Bumble app to cook up with somebody because they are going to look at (laughs) one last ride. They're going to want to be relevant until they're not. They're going to want one more bite at the apple. This is Woodstock generation. This is independence, right? And we see this in the demographic trends. I mean, look at the villages. We could talk about that all day. So I have a product for that, but not only do I have a product for that, but we want to overlay it with technology. And I, I don't mean bells and whistles. And I, you know, again, we're, I love putting the technology in with all these things we talked about earlier. And I, I love the, the the foundation infrastructure, but I even think that's shifting now. I want a building that has good cellular connectivity so my clients can bring in their cell phones because most buildings they can't, there's no DAS in the building. I want something where I can move in and because I have a, a license, I don't need a license and the life safety code, my rent is less expensive in my independent living. And I can go to the pool and enjoy all these amenities, but what happens when I need meds now? Well, now th- in any community, if you don't have what I'm getting ready to tell you, they're gonna say, well, you need to go to our AO memory care services, or you need to move. Well, I have gonna have such robust Wi-Fi that my residents will have their own network, 50 megs of download, and I can call a partner. This is key, third-party healthcare partners to come in. So I'm gonna call a phar- preferred pharmacy to put their machine on my wall, be able to deliver the med to the resident in a package They can three times a day, just like Wemo does with your lights based on time and the Wi-Fi, which is critical and take my meds and avoid a move to AL memory care. And with low rent, because no license in a, a stick building versus steel. And with that service of a professional third-party person, I don't have to move now. And if I need a shower because my family says, look, Todd, you're not getting your shower every week. I've got a third-party healthcare person that can come in, they can bathe me and they're gonna charge me, but with bathing and dressing charge, medicine charge, and my rent, I'm still low, lower than an AL memory care. And I can get Medicare Part A, Part B, OTPT, speech therapy, I can bring a massage therapist in, I can bring salon services in and movement, I can bring all this in if I have robust Wi-Fi. Look, I can give them telehealth. CMS says we don't need a firewall anymore. Just get on your FaceTime and meet your doctor. If I have robust wifi and that's the kicker, we don't have that even in these tech buildings now. And so I'm gonna stay there probably six years until one day I'm declining, I'm probably dying. And now I'm willing to go into an AO memory care. And I'm not looking quite frankly, to spend time with you at the bar then Tim, I'm gonna be wanting to make sure they're taking care of me. I probably wanna be reconciled to my family and I want those care services so I can get my affairs together and age successfully. So the Aviva product we have coming out of the ground, independent living—that's where it differs. You know, it's going to be membership-based, two meals a day. They'll have access to highly amenitized. We'll have a lifestyle engagement director. So think like a utilization review manager, social worker, discharge planner that coordinates services. We're going to meet with our preferred providers until they're, maybe if they don't meet our standard, they're not in our building. But when they're there, they're representing me and I'm betting that a 75 to 85 year old will go there all day long and they'll wait till they have to go to AL memory care. And that's the independent living model. And we do something similar with the Viva active adult. And again, I've been at the last six months, I've been listening to people on the stage telling me that if you're providing a meal, at active adult, then you're not, you don't have active adult. And I totally disagree. So we're, we have a model now we're working with where we're converting a hotel, repurposing it for active adult. It'll include one meal a day because I believe someone will pay a premium for a rental space with services, with one meal, because that's insurance for a a middle market person. Uh, Then I know I can come here and get one meal and we'll see what happens. And that's some insurance. And history has shown me they'll they'll be able to pay more and we'll be able to add on as they age. And we'll have an AO memory care out of the ground, tied in with a partnership with a hospital who wants to send a physician over when there's a fall because they don't want the resident in the hospital, which is next door, and they'll pay for it. And they want to send their nurses in once a month to triage data points on that resident for saturation and blood pressure. And weight and respiration because they can bill for it $65 a month, but also because they, Medicare wants to keep them out of the hospital. And if I can create a partnership like that, I have something almost better than anything I think anybody's delivered now in AO memory care, where we're trying to juggle a lot of different things we do with maybe not being really good at any one thing. So, so if I can say one more thing and I'm trying to solve, okay. Sure. So I'm not trying to say say that there's no need for AO memory care. So I want to be clear to the audience in that. But I do think it's changing. So we have a property coming out of the ground. It's going to be higher than most market rents in our area, but slightly. Because I think the client's going to demand something different. And plus, I have to figure out from the business side, what's a unique value proposition over my competitors. So this new building, and we've talked about this in some of the podcasts, But we think the world's changing. So I'm putting washers and dryers in my AL suites. And the reason I'm doing that is because, one, do you in a post-COVID-19 world want to mix the laundry with everyone else down the hallway? We know it's probably the number two problem is losing laundry in these communities. And what a better way, if we're going to do the laundry for my caregiver to go in and spend time with the resident, doing the laundry in their room. And if we have another pandemic and we have to retreat to our rooms, I don't want my residence in a 300 square foot suite with no washer dryer and no ability for the families to come in and cook. So we're also putting small but full kitchens in our in our communities. So we think that's a game changer. We're going to introduce a, a much needed product. I think some people are evolving into this, but right now, you know the drill, you're in AL assisted living, and now you're losing cognitive function, maybe not bad. You're not at risk for elopement, but not really appropriate, maybe with the AL folks. So what do we do? We move them to the memory care unit, which is a secured unit. And I'm telling you, if they're not at risk for elopement, they decline. It's great environment for those that are at risk for elopement, need shepherding, high levels of oversight, but the person that's declining and is in between, they need another solution. So we're going to introduce transitional living. So we'll have a dedicated OTPT person that's going to be dedicated to these residents. We will charge more for them, and they'll have their own activities and their own programming that'll be appropriate for them that'll be separate from the general population, even though they'll still participate in some of those. We think that's going to be a real value add when you can't get that at the other places. And then we're also adding a Montessori dementia, aging and dementia program, which we can talk about in a minute. And the last thing is, ai don't have a better word for this, but a fee-for-service strategy for pricing. So I, I don't want to sit in front of a person and interview them, do an assessment and say, wow, you're a level four. And they say, well, what is that? What is that? And I say, well, that, that means you need more care, time, energy, and talent. We have to take care of you. Yeah, but what are you going to do for that? Well, you just trust me. The software says we got to give you more care. And then that sets up a lot of times failure if we can't deliver the care more time energy and talent, you know, to do the care. So I want to be able to assess and say, look, we now have to provide insulin injections and, di- and, and monitoring of their insulin. So I'm going to charge a diabetic management fee and we provide insulin monitoring and injections and that's what you're getting and that's what we charge you for. If you're on oxygen, I'm going I'm to charge oxygen services. That's what I'm providing for you if you're on aerosolized uh, therapy or on oxygen. If there's incontinence managed needed, It's incontinence management. If it's complex meds over eight, we're going to charge you that. So what we're billing for, you know what it is, and then I'm delivering the service and you can hold us accountable. I think that's a game changer for our industry. I'm not sure why we haven't done it, but we're going to do that with our new AO memory care coming out of the ground here locally. So just a few things. We think that's all going to be needed. And obviously, a nurse seven days a week, and we have to begin providing care because the regulations are all changing, Tim. So the regulators are all wanting our residents now to age in place because they don't want their loved ones going to skilled nursing. They don't want the the state paying for them. And so now they're allowing for more care to be given. So if we built a model on, you know, one to 20 caregivers based on 20 years ago, because we are providing activities of daily living, bathing, dressing, and grooming only, we're in trouble because now we can have two-person assist, Now we can do diabetic management. Now we can provide assist in Virginia with patient lifts. We can do ostomy services. I mean, we can do everything but invasive care. And if I don't change my model, I'm going to be in trouble because I will not be able to deliver the services. So this is a change that's happening. We need to embrace and we need to up our game in the area of care on the AO memory care model.
0: All that makes a lot of sense to me. And I remember you had mentioned some of that on the memory care side at. Argentum. I was telling you before we started this recording that I had watched your Argentum panel with Chuck Harry from Nick with with great interest. So thanks for mentioning a lot of that. I want to keep the discussion moving. We only have a little bit more time today. So I want to get your perspective on this because I think you, you have a good one. So I've heard through this pandemic that multifamily firms are still interested in entering the senior housing space. And I've heard particularly on the active adult side, because I I guess the thinking there is that it more closely resembles multifamily and that it's, you know, easier than the sort of independent living, more care heavy model. I guess my question is, you know, it seems like this space can be deceivingly easy (laughs) to outsiders, especially when active adult looks like it's just, you know, multifamily. So since you guys have holdings and since you have all this knowledge in depth in the multifamily world, what do you think it takes for a new entrant from that world to be successful in the senior housing space? And, you know, is this, I guess, is that true? Is this harder than it looks? Do multifamily firms tend to look at this as, oh, that's, that's
1: just like what we do and it's not. <laughs> that, that's a great question. I don't even know where to begin to answer it because I have lots of thoughts on it I'd like to share. So let me, let me attempt. So I, I think this is the most difficult space. So- in real estate, you could work. I mean, I think obviously that in the pandemic, I, I think 20% of the market is very distressed because people that rushed into the space with the idea that, and we're very good at what they did, good developers, and they just had it, you know, I, we're so creative and they believe that having a highly amenitized building with high-end finishes and tricked out to have these things we talked about earlier, whether it's cascading fireplaces or water features or lit backdrop ceilings. I mean, that's all fine. But when you have, I don't think they realize this is a healthcare business. And I, I remember at the NIT conference, a variety of very credible national speakers saying, look, if you're in this business and you're not prepared to run a healthcare business, you're going to be in trouble. And so I think 30% are distressed because they weren't ready for a pandemic. They were running and managing it as an operating model, similar to multifamily, and it just was way over their head. And I think a lot of them are exiting now. So I've had the privilege of working with Chris Finley, our chairman, and a very intuitive gentleman that's been a ferocious reader that's been studying this space a long time. And, you know, and I could tell he had done a lot, of, a lot of homework when we started working together. It's almost been unfortunate we've had a delay in some of our acquisitions because of the pandemic, because we had our honeymoon period. And he has a, a wonderful back-of-the-office multifamily platform. And, and I really want to share this. You know, one of the things I've watched investors, debt and equity partners, really look for is in, in interviewing uh, potential clients that they're going to lend to and be partners with. They really wanted to know if there was an understanding of the senior housing space because a lot of people don't get it. And there are some people that really do get it and they're able to articulate you know, what we do and, and the emphasis of services and, and care and it being a 24-hour business. And I think they checked the box a lot of times and said, hey, they get it or or they get the vision or they're very visionary and, and they assume they have tried and true operations in place. They assume they have HR and accounting and finance And great asset management and inbound, outbound digital marketing campaign. They assume they have all that. And in most cases, that was the weakness of companies I served. When it got down to the nuts and bolts of having to deliver on just basic operations, it was challenging. And I think we're seeing a lot of that. I mean, I know a lot of frustrated vendors and partners that are just like saying they can't get information, they can't get analytics. They can't get metrics. They don't know. They don't have tour conversions. They don't know what the lead generation is in place. They don't know what the sources are because the operators like, well, we don't do that. And so, what we have, if what we have at Lloyd Jones is a very strong back of the house for multifamily that's gold standard. And I have the strength of that, you know, to help me do what I do best, which is business development, growth, repositioning the assets. Renovating them and creating a a specific product for an area. So I think a person entering the space, if they have the back of the office and a a leader like Chris that understands that they can be successful. But it was bumpy for us as well. And full transparency, because the multifamily had a certain way of doing it, and they were successful, and they were telling me this is the way it needed to be done, and I had to just plant seeds and present, you know, how we have to do it on our side to create enough pain where they said, whoa, this is very different. Tell us, Todd, what do we need to do? So I think there are good players that can do it that need to bring on good partners or already have them. But I do think a lot of people are going to exit saying, look, I'm going back to merchant building because I don't need to be in this space anymore.
0: So, in the few minutes we have left, Todd, I want to get your take on kind of the big topic of the day. So, staffing, that seems like the biggest challenge right now. You know, I've talked with many operators in the past few months who have said, we think occupancy, that's taking a back seat now to our staffing challenges. And it makes a lot of sense to me. It seems especially hard if you're a company trying to make a middle market model work, just given the fact that you have to, you know, pay more for staffing, your expenses are higher there. So, I could see how that would really squeeze your margins and make it a lot harder to, to make something truly middle market. I guess um, to ask you about sort of that in general, what are you seeing on the staffing side? And then I guess, you know, and, and also what's working and, and whether you've seen any success there, but also how long do you think this is going to last? I mean, I, I read an article the other day that was, we might be in this period of, of I remember, think it was, it was you know, sort of referred to it as the Great Resignation, but there was this idea that workers now have, have a different idea of what they want to do for a living. They have a different idea of how much they want to earn. So I don't know. I guess, uh, yeah, I guess w- what are you seeing in terms of staffing challenges? What's working? And then how long do you think these challenges are going to last? Yeah, that's,
1: that's another great question, Tim. And I, I've searched for a subject matter expert to try to get data on, on where we're heading. And it's phenomenal that no one can answer that question. I mean, how can you have a 6% unemployment rate right now and not have enough available workers in the market? I mean, obviously, when there is money to, to stay at home, that's a problem uh, when we can't compete with what a person may be receiving in, in certain type of government entitlements to help them during the pandemic. We still have some of that going on. I do know there's a lot of moms that decided, you know what, I'm not, I want to stay home with my family. So it's a real problem, you know. I, I think several things have to change, and and you know, one one other thing that I know is creating an additional problem here. And again, it's working on ten year old models. You know, one of the reasons I left the resort space after doing twenty six versions of it is I saw a lot of people excited about the high amount of rent they were going to get from these clients. There was a a chase to buy to create the biggest and largest building. And so I was like jumping up and down and saying, "Look, you you can't run these same ratios. The regulators are not going to allow us because your building's bigger. You don't have line of sight with your your staff. Uh, there were, you know, people were choosing a different way to build. So trying to build for a license that would not allow them to keep a higher acuity level, and because there was no one." an understanding of an awareness of all this, these buildings got built, these performers got cooked, baked in. And as you know, it's very difficult to change a performer once it's built. So even when the pandemic hit, there was resistance to allow more staffing to come in, to increase ratios, which only created more problems for the operator who already was probably understaffed. So I think the good news is, is that there's been a lesson with debt and equity partners You know, we have the advantage, fortunately, that, you know, the seven assets that we have now in the portfolio, we've got long-term staff that have been there a while. We sought to recognize them and celebrate them. We pushed our investors to financially reward them, and they wanted to do that. I think there's a lot of turnover going on in our industry. There's, you know, a thought sometimes that the the team member is only as good as the last P&L. I mean, I just think that's devastating to morale in a building. And so there's a lot of change going on. But we can build performance and with our investors and we are putting in higher wages. We're starting $15 to $17 you know, for our cooks and our housekeeping and our CNAs, our care staff. So we're able to bake that in. I think there's an understanding that returns are going to be a little bit less on the NOI. But if we, again, we're making that up on low cost, low basis in the building. And we're going to make it up on higher rents with more programming on the other other side of it. I really appreciate, you know, innovation always shows up when there seems to be problems. You know, I appreciate people. I think you've interviewed Charles Turner in CARES. He's been waiting, I think, for us to join forces with him (laughs) when we have our new acquisition. So, but, you know, that's a very strategic way to be able to qualify staff, have them readily available without going through agencies that are going to drive the P&L way up, but it is a new world. And I think we're going to have to rethink, you know, moving forward, what we're going to do. I will say one more comment on this. You know, I like, you know, sharing these things as well. And and I love the work that you guys do of getting just different leaders on what's going on. But I, I remember even five years ago, again, asking the question like, Hey, are we going to change the way we underwrite these deals from a feasibility study and, and whoever read a feasibility study, which it almost didn't work out, you know, the pressure's there for it to work out. But I even asked, look, if, if we locate in resort areas, affluent areas, where's the labor pool coming from? What's the provision and the pro forma to bring people from, you know, 20 miles away into this area because they don't live here. And it's just was, Oh, we're not worried about it. This is a great deal. And then when it gets up and running and now we don't have team members to provide, Critical care, which is the product, then we're you know as you know we're going to be in trouble. So, I wish I had a better answer. I'm searching the network every day to figure out what solutions are coming. But yeah, I think it's going to be a change. I do think it's going to be a change we have to get ready for.
0: And when there when there is a solution to this problem, you will read about it Senior on Housing Senior Housing News.
1: Breaking right. news. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right. Well,
0: Todd, I know that we could talk for a lot longer, but that's all the time that we have today. But thank you so much for coming on Transform. You know, I, I always enjoy talking with folks and I always enjoy talking with you. Thank you, you so, Tim. Thank you Appreciate so much. It. That does it for this episode of Transform. I would again like to mention our upcoming Build event in Chicago on November 17 and 18. Be sure to visit seniorhousingnews.com slash events for the latest updates on Build, and on our other scheduled events. Again, I'm Tim Regan for Senior Housing News. Thanks for listening.